Welcome to Our Scars Speak. My name is Christina Miner, and I am the host of this podcast. Before we begin this episode, we would like to provide our disclaimer. We are not claiming to be medical professionals or any other professional providing advice regarding your treatment plan. We encourage everyone to follow their doctor's orders. We are only here to share our experiences and provide support. Tonight, we have Dr. Constance, and I'm going to mess your last name up, so I'm going to say Dr. V, (laughs) and I am just so thankful for you being up here tonight. I'm so eager to hear everything that you have to say, and just thank you for showing up for us tonight. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here tonight. (laughs) It is such a great honor to even have you up here. I was kind of nervous at first to even ask you to come on, but I was like, you know what? This is research. We need this research. So I wanted you up here and I'm so glad that you said yes. So Thank before, you. Yeah, you're welcome. So before we get into the research and everything great that you're doing, can you let the audience know a little bit about Dr. V? Without all the titles, just who do you describe yourself as? Okay, well, I'm Connie Bischowski. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, so I'm sure you can hear my New York yes. accent. <laughs> However, um, I've been in Florida for the last 12 years. I've lived in many places, Ohio, Nebraska, so I've been around the country. And if I had to say, like, where's my identity? Who am I? I think I'm a nurse at heart. I can't remember a time in my life even as a child, when I didn't want to be a nurse. So that's what defines me. I am a nurse. I'm a registered nurse. And yes, I have a PhD. I am a research scientist and academic at the University of South Florida in Tampa. And I am also very passionate about helping women with breast cancer to survive and thrive. I love it. So I heard you say that you can't remember a day in which you just could, you know, you identify with being a nurse at even a young age. With that being said, could you take us back a little bit before all the education? What actually got you in the mindset of this is something that I have to do to impact lives and something that just fulfills you? How did you know? Like, were you around a nurse or a doctor growing up? No, I wasn't. In fact, very few of my family ever went to college, but I always had a desire to help people. And I think that when you have that kind of personality, you're drawn to those professions like social work, teaching, nursing. And so that really spoke to me. And I just always thought I wanted to be a nurse. And I'll tell you, it's been the best career. I don't regret one minute of it. That is awesome. I um I love the medical field. So when you when I read all your information and your biography, I was like, oh my gosh, she's done so much. It's very impressive. So far as now in your life, like everything that you're doing now, um, I know about the study that you're doing and the research, mm-hmm. but what exactly led you to the space of helping the breast cancer community with women, primarily with women, but what led you in this particular study or this field to even want to help this community? Well, you know, I started out by being um, an oncology nurse practitioner. So I saw many kinds of patients, patients with hematologic cancers, solid tumor cancers like breast cancer, GI cancer, et cetera. But I always felt that, um, I don't know, joinship and empathy Mm -hmm. and camaraderie with the women with breast cancer. I think as a woman, as a mother, I just related so much to them. I also know that 
you know, when we think about cancer and uh, as a diagnosis, we always hear about the fight and beating cancer and so on. But there's very little said about, well, once you've made that leap, once you've right. survived your surgery, your chemotherapy, your radiation, all three, whatever you went through, you're left with these long-term side effects that sometimes no one knows what to do about. And you still have to live your life. So it has a negative effect on your quality of life, maybe how you work or what kind of work you can engage in, your lifestyle. So this led me to be thinking about what could the medical community do to help women with breast cancer, not only survive that fight, but right. thrive afterwards and to take control? Because when you are a patient and when you are a cancer, you identify as I'm a cancer patient, I've had cancer. Although myself, I've never had cancer. I've taken care of enough women as a nurse practitioner mm -hmm. in a breast cancer clinic to know this. You know, you think you're helpless and you're at the mercy of these medical professionals to tell you what to do, how to do it, when to show up, when to get your blood drawn and all those, what medicines to take, et cetera. But we don't have enough space mm -hmm. to help women help themselves. For instance, when you have a heart attack and you're hospitalized for that and you get treatment for your heart attack and you go home, there's cardiac rehab. If you break your leg, you're going to have physical therapy. Well, what is there for women after their treatment is over? There's Is there any cancer rehab? No, there isn't. Partially, I can understand that, and I'll explain why. Because cancer is very heterogeneous. Mm -hmm. Even if you're talking about breast cancer, when you get down to young versus older age, when you get down to HER2 positive, HER2 negative, ER positive, ER negative, the stage of your cancer, whether it's metastatic or not, it's all over the map. So what you can possibly do for yourself may change and does change over time. So I became very interested in how can we help women help themselves, help them self-manage some of these side effects at home. And that's what drew me to this question of my research and why I'm doing it. Absolutely. So with, but you've never had anyone in your family to have breast cancer or any other cancers? Oh, I've had, I have relatives who have breast cancer, certainly one of my aunts, one of my cousins and all kinds of cancer. My father's a colon cancer survivor, you know, oh. so we, yes, we definitely, my father-in-law had lymphoma. So yes, we've had family members that are impacted. I just said, personally, I don't have that story. To right. Tell. Right. No. And that's fine. But it's interesting because there's still a link there. As far as like you personally, you know, you've seen other people mm -hmm. go through. So mm -hmm. you actually not just worked in the profession, but you've had family members. So you know what it looks like. You know what is being offered. Oh, yes. 100% yes. from both. Absolutely. And you said something that um, I had Dr. Leslie Walkie up here, who's a, a physical therapist, very well-known physical therapist. And she said the same thing. She said, once somebody has a stroke or a heart attack, we got them up out of the bed. We have them walking. We have them doing things to help with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, preventative care moving forward or just trying to rehab, but not so much with mm -hmm. cancer patients. And that's so true. Um, what that's true from even the standpoint of being a cancer patient, I had to go, you know, it was, they did give me rehab for my arms because I had the double mastectomy, but everyone's not even offered that. Um, a lot of people aren't like, especially if you get a lumpectomy and stuff. So, so yeah, so thank you for being so 
you know, as far as like wanting to investigate this particular area. And feel free to share with us exactly what your research, the name, what is it about, sure. and, you know, everything as far as on that standpoint. So I, this, I'm conducting a research study. We're in our last year. We're in the fifth year of the study. It's uh -huh. funded by the National Cancer Institute. So that tells you it's undergone rigorous scientific review. It's right. funded. And so I want people to feel safe and to feel secure that it's not some quack person, you know, <laughs> doing this kind of work. And it's called home-based um, exercise for uh, phys physical activity for women who've had taxanes, and that's paclitaxel or docetaxel. Those are the two chemotherapy agents we study uh, for breast cancer and have something called chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy. So chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy um, it occurs because those drugs that we give you, and it's not just those two drugs, but those are the drugs we're studying in this particular study, there are many neurotoxic chemotherapy drugs. And what they cause is numbness, tingling in the hands, the feet. They cause altered balance, altered gait, uh, mm -hmm. muscle weakness. So they have these effects that can be long-term. For some patients, do they resolve? Yes. But they're also depending on your own personal risk factors and depending on how the length of your treatment and what treatments you receive. You could receive more than one neurotoxic drug, right? Uh -huh. You could um, receive um, treatment for a year if you're getting, uh, you know, trastuzumab or Herceptin for ER negative um, disease. So it depends. And, and so what I was thinking about was what can we do to help women? Well, if the biggest problem is functional deficits following um, treatment that leads to chemotherapy induced neuropathy, giving you functional deficits and muscle weakness and inability to walk well and to be independent. What can we do? And I thought about um, a gait and balance and strength training exercise. I aimed it at mostly the lower extremities, not that the hands aren't important, mm -hmm. but what keeps you independent, caring for your children, being able to do your work, carry your groceries, you know, um, ambulance, walk your dog, you know, do all your activities of daily living, mostly your lower extremities. So right. we focused on doing strength training of the lower extremities and combining that uh, with exercises focusing on your balance mm -hmm. and your gait. So it's trying to strengthen all of those areas. And so, um, you know, that's exactly what our study is. It's called the Be Happy Study. So we like the acronym, <laughs> uh, Be Happy, because we want people to be happy and to be able to do that. It's a 16-week study. And because it's a randomized trial, mm -hmm. uh, you get randomized to either the exercise group or an education control group. Now, the good news is I want to enter the study and I really want to be able to get the exercises. Even if you're randomized to the control group, following your 16 weeks in the study, we will give you the exercise program okay. and the resistance exercise bands, the exercise diary, all the um, booklet to do the exercises at home. We have a YouTube link that shows the physical therapist that we work with um, demonstrating those exercises so you can do them at your own pace. And best of all, you can do them in your own home on your own time. Nice. That's really good. So if you could, can you elaborate a little bit more about some of the symptoms with neuropathy that some of the patients may endure if they have it? Sure. You get a lot of numbness and tingling in the feet, particularly. Now, chemotherapy-induced neuropathy falls into a stocking and glove pattern. So starting at the beginning of the fingertips or the toes, all the way up to the elbow, all the way up to the knee, 
Um, you, if you have uh, any pre-existing condition that causes neuropathy, like diabetes, if you are on HIV meds, those meds are a neurotoxic, so you already have neuropathy from that. If you have some some certain spinal conditions can cause neuropathy, alcoholism can cause neuropathy. So if you come into cancer with any of those and we treat you with these neurotoxic drugs, which are the drugs of choice to be right. treated for breast cancer, if you're getting um, paclitaxel or docetaxel, then you get probably an additive effect you know, um, on top of the neuropathy you already have. So this numbness, tingling, pain, some women describe it as walking on glass. So you can have hypersensitivities as well, but mostly people, the most common is they really can't feel. So since they can't oh, feel wow. the bottom of their feet, and I talked about weakness. So you have muscle weakness, so you have a little bit altered gait, but remember, if you can't feel the bottom of your feet, what do you do? You have to look. When you're walking, you have to be aware of the terrain because you can fall because you don't feel the crack in the sidewalk or the unevenness of the grass when you're walking across your backyard. So you constantly have to use those visual cues to do that. So it really does have an impact on everyday life. You can have painful neuropathy. Um, so it can have shooting pains, and they call it neuropathic pain. And that particular pain is hard to treat. Why we think exercise works is because we believe that by bringing blood flow to the mitochondria, that is the powerhouse of your cells, where you create ATP for energy, that feeds your peripheral nerves. If you exercise, you create more of that ATP and feed the nerves. If you exercise, then you also are having some dilation of the vascular system of the lower extremities. So that that also feeds the nerves and it brings the blood supply and oxygen and nutrients to the nerves. So that's why we believe it works. And right now there are no evidence-based treatments for chemotherapy induced neuropathy, save one. And that one is duloxetine or Cymbalta, originally developed as an antidepressant, but uh -huh. found that people had um, relief of their neuropathic pain. So what I'm telling you, Christina, is it works pretty good for pain, but not for function, does nothing for function. Oh, okay. So they're treating the symptom, but not the actual. Okay. So can you go back and elaborate a little bit about the mitochondria? Now I know what it is, but a lot of people do not know. Can you explain that to the okay, audience? So it's in your organs. So in your cells, it's an organelle in your cells. It's one of the largest ones and it produces energy. And that's the energy that's called ATP, adenosine triphosphate. And it actually gives you the body the energy it needs to mm -hmm. perform its functions whether that function is protein synthesis among the cells or it's the ability of you to move your muscles <laughs> you have wow. the energy to do those things um and so the mitochondria is very important we mm -hmm. know from animal studies that those drugs the taxanes particularly mm -hmm. paxitaxel docetaxel actually impair the mitochondria's function oh okay that makes sense Mm -hmm. so that's why okay that makes a lot of sense is one of the because I hear a lot of people talking about burning sensation is that mm -hmm. also included with the neuropathy as Absolutely. well I to bring that up because I hear that a lot like not numbness, to talk from that, numbness, but tingling to and that. burning pain are the most prevalent signs of neuropathy okay, okay. so your study 
and you had, you spoke to me a little bit about it. Well, not a little bit, but a lot <laughs> when we were talking, um, you know, one-on-one and you mentioned that far as having to go to Florida. Can you elaborate a little bit if I yeah. were to come into the study? What oh, are, absolutely. what are some of the things that far as the criteria? So let me explain that we are in Tampa, Florida and not, and believe me, if I could bring the study to people's homes and do it virtually, I would. Remember that there is no evidence-based treatment at this point for neuropathy, right. aside from what I mentioned, a medication. So what we're doing is we're doing very sophisticated tests and assessments of gait, so your ability to walk, balance, muscle strength, and nerve conduction. And we have to do that in our lab. And it's done only twice when you enter the study at, we call it baseline. So the first time right. you're in the study and at 16 weeks. So we do have people from out of state that have come because they feel there's no help for themselves and, and they really want to try this exercise program. And so they come on at the first beginning of the study and they come at the end four months later. And so we have had people come from Indiana, from Georgia, wow. from the Carolinas. And of course, we have people from all over Florida. From We're in Tampa. They come from Miami. They come from Naples. So that's a couple of hours away. Um, and we invite people to come. Well, who wouldn't want to come to Florida twice? And what better reason can you say than it's wintertime. <laughs> I'll go to Florida. Meanwhile, I'll be in this study and I'll spend the weekend in Florida. So right. excellent. please come and be in the study. We're delighted to have you. How long, so when they get there, how many days would they have to stay for the baseline and even for the um the end? This we we only well, it's it's a few hours, but it's about okay. a three hour appointment. So let's just say you wanted to come for a long weekend. You come in on Friday, you know, on a Friday. Mm -hmm. uh, we possibly can do you on a Monday. You want to come in Saturday to be done on a Monday or Tuesday. I mean, so we only need you for three hours each time. So okay. it's up to you how long you want to stay in Florida. Uh, we can help you with the sightseeing and stuff, but you know, we only need you for three hours. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know if it was like a couple of days or just a couple of hours. So that's a couple of hours. And we will okay. teach you, we will teach you the exercises in person. So we have great study staff. Um, we have uh, the uh, nurses that interact with the patients. We have um, physical therapists. We have um public health expertise, we okay. have statisticians, we have all kinds of people that are working on our team. And so we can give um, expert um, advice on how to perform the exercises. So when the person goes home and they're doing the exercises at home, do they have, do you have a team of people like a nurse navigator or someone to kind of like that they, they could call if they're having difficult? Absolutely. We actually call them. So we'll okay. call you. You will make follow-up phone calls to you. And we have done, you know, COVID taught us a lot of things. It was hard to make mm -hmm. a lot of adaptations. <laughs> and this study was actually funded in the heat of COVID. Um, wow. So when people couldn't or felt they weren't safe enough to keep coming back to the school to you know come mm -hmm. meet with us we did a lot of virtual or video conferences where we said we set up the camera and said okay watch us do the exercise again okay now we have the camera on you so let me see you do it so we've troubleshot nice. a lot of those things and we learned a ton about helping people at home during um, the covid um, pandemic. Okay. I didn't know it was birthed in the middle of, <laughs> so that does that. Well, yeah, that's really good. That's even better. So they have a team that works with them mm -hmm. from home and do they have like video pre-recorded video footage 
for yes, they, them. We, do. we have a YouTube on. link with um, pre-recorded video footage. And we also have our uh, physical therapist who's on our study mm -hmm. as a co-investigator who has called patients. Like, for instance, a patient, well, I'm just going to say, maybe pulled a muscle and said, right. can I still do the lunges? And she had a consultation with them and she told them exactly what to do, what not to do, how, how to work around that pulled muscle for that week or, you know, however many days it wow. took to go away. So we, yes, we're, we're available. I, as the principal investigator for the study, am also available. I've had patients call me or ask to speak with me. I've spent mm -hmm. much time on the phone, you know, coaching them or answering questions that maybe they wanted to ask of me. Right. And so right. absolutely, we're and here so, to support. So what are some other criteria as far as age and they have to have had certain medications? I know you said the- Okay, so women who are adults, 21 or over. 21, okay. Who've had breast cancer, obviously, and were treated with chemotherapy that consisted of taxane specifically, docetaxel, paclitaxel. You may also know them by their trade names of taxateer or um, taxol. Those are the right. other names. And um, we do, you don't even have to read and write English. Guess what? We have Spanish-speaking personnel. One of our research nurses is a native-speaking Spanish, um, a native Spanish speaker. And also our physical therapist is also oh. Hispanic and is okay. a native Spanish speaker. So we, we, if you, English or Spanish works for us, all our materials have been translated by a certified translator. Um, so we have everything up and running for anybody who's um, Hispanic and speaks Spanish. Um, so you don't have to speak English and you have to have neuropathy. So mm -hmm. what we do is we ask you on a scale of zero to 10 to rate your neuropathy, numbness, tingling, burning, pain. And if you right. have that of a grade three or higher, you can be in the study. In the study. Okay. And, and is also, it I have one more thing, Christina, I'm sorry. You have, to have, you have to have completed your chemotherapy six months or longer ago. So we have women who just finished at six months. We have women who've been out of treatment for seven years and still have neuropathy. Wow. Yeah, that's the sad part. Mm -hmm. It's so sad. Um, I don't know if you can share this or not. So if you can't, no problem. But far as so far within the study, have you had a great success so far. Um, I know you can't share too much details because you're not complete. You know, it's not done. <laughs> but you're right. It would be wrong of us to do the test of differences between the groups at this stage. However, we have patient self-reports. So I'll give you one example. It's very extreme. Um, I'll give you one. We have a lady who is in the study who uses a walker. And when she came to us, she said, you know, she has one of those Apple watches. So you can see how many steps mm -hmm. you took a day. And she says, I'm only walking about 300 steps a day. By the end of our study, she was not even the end. I think she was about three quarters of the way through. She was walking 3000 steps a day. Wow. So that we have uh, a woman who did a testimonial for us, a video recorded testimonial um, on our website. And she has had her neuropathy completely resolve. So those I can tell you. And what I can tell you too, is you'll get some benefit. Let's face it. What does exercise not better? Who does it not benefit? It benefits everybody. And so you'll get stronger. You'll feel better. You'll have better balance. You'll have an improved walk 
and you know gait performance. Mm -hmm. When you have neuropathy, you have, I'm gonna use my hands here to show you, but you have kind of like a little bit of foot slap. You know how if sometimes if you're walking, you may your foot hits the concrete and you can mm -hmm. hear it and feel it? Well, people with neuropathy have that quite frequently. So that should resolve. So we'll be able to help you with those things. And the other thing to say is it's not harmful. In the mm -hmm. four years we've been doing this, we've had no adverse events. We've had nobody fall. We've had nobody injured. We have no, we've had nobody, anything untoward happen to anybody as a result of doing the exercises. I'll say that partially because we caution people and mm -hmm. teach them how to do them safely at home. Wow. That's impressive, especially with going from like 300 steps to 3000 steps. With a lot of the patients, are they encouraged to still utilize their medication for neuropathy when they're on, when they're mm -hmm. going through Absolutely. the or, Okay, or are they off of that? That was the- Absolutely. Other. We do not change any of their medical treatment. Okay. And I think your disclaimer in the beginning was very helpful too. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Pay attention to your medical team. We're not here to change any of this. We're here to help you self-manage. We're here to help you um, live your best life after cancer. And so that's, and I, you know, we're very passionate about this and that story of the woman with the walker, I can't tell you how that warmed me and makes me feel like, okay, I'm in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing for the right people. Yes. And so, um, that just, I can't tell you how that fulfilled me to hear that. Could you think of that difference we made in that one woman's life? Yep. And that just is a fantastic thing to, to hear. It gives so much hope to people. Mm -hmm. felt like Absolutely. they were possibly, I mean, I, I don't know if she felt that way, but I know as a person who's gone through rehab myself to try to learn how to use my arms again and everything, you feel mm -hmm. hopeless in the beginning. And when you start moving and things start moving a little bit better, you start having even more hope that this could mm -hmm. definitely be reversed. Um, we both, we, we, let me share one more thing with you, Christina. We also did a, uh, an analysis we're going to be presenting at a national meeting soon of what was the most helpful thing, you know, at the end of the study, we took a, the patients who finished the study thus far and asked them a lot of different questions, but they all talk about the team wow. and they named the nurses by name. They named the research staff by name and how important those people were to them. And so that is also something that, you know, I think people get from uh, participating in the study. They do because people have no idea. I don't think they really understand when, when you go through breast cancer and then you come to, and I'm sure you have heard this and been around it because you worked in oncology. Mm -hmm. When we have to separate from our doctors and they say, okay, you're good. See you next mm -hmm. year. We're like, what do you mean? Because um, mm -hmm. you're like a security blanket for us. It's a comfort for us mm -hmm. to go. You become a family. And right. when it's like separated, it's very disheartening and you have to get used to, you have to get acclimated back into, okay, I don't have to go to this appointment every week. I can get back into the flow of life, not necessarily how it used to be, but my new life now. Um, but minus the doctor every time I turn around. But at the same time, it's very, I've, I've talked to a lot of of my sisters and and even some of the men it's like it's our security it's like oh our family where are you going don't leave us <laughs> this is very common particularly at the five-year mark mm -hmm. when they say you don't need to come here anymore 
Well, I mean, we've had patients cry over that. Yes. Can I still call you? Yeah, yeah, you can still call me. You know, so absolutely, it is that security mm-hmm. and that knowledge that someone's there to help you, especially when you have a condition like neuropathy for which there really right. is no cure. Yep. And sometimes I've even seen some women say that they had it and some of the medical teams didn't necessarily believe them. Um, They would describe what was going on, but it took them a long time to get to an actual diagnosis. And then some people didn't believe them. So for you to even come out with this study to help people understand that, yes, this is real, which they know is real, but it's like, we need to do something about it other than just medication. So I think that's that's beautiful that you even thought this. (laughs) And on our team, we have a neurologist. So he does the nerve conduction tests. You know, as part of the assessment at the beginning and the end of the study, he could even tell you what leg is the worst leg. And you know, everybody has one. You yeah. know, you could have neuropathy worse in one side than the other. And so we and so it really helps us when we're helping the person do the exercises to which leg is you should really, really focus on, which leg is the one that's weaker or that it's not receiving the impulses from the nerve to the muscle right. as well. This is such good information. Even the information about if you had a pre-existing illness that could have caused neurotic. Because I've often thought about people who have diabetes or mm-hmm. uh, HIV medications and things of that nature. Like how is this like double the effect? And for you yeah, to- We, we really think it is. And yeah. unfortunately, because of the nature of this trial, because it's providing the first evidence- Mm-hmm. of an effective home-based exercise intervention, we have we can't include people who have diabetes. Right. Um, so that I think is a, you know, you could probably ask me what I'm going to do next. That's probably what I'm going to do next. Because why are we leaving out the people who need yeah. it the most? But nonetheless, you have to have this kind of clean, randomized trial to begin with. I'll also wow. share with you one other risk factor, sure. being overweight. Mm-hmm. We and they have lots of data that show that the more overweight you are, you know, your BMI 29 or higher, mm-hmm. the more you're at risk for neuropathy. So overall, it's a good thing to either maintain your weight if you're at a good weight or to lose some weight. Or lose it. Yep. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you want to share about the study or anything? Feel free. I think I'll just share that um, we're also uh, re- replicating this study. Mm-hmm. Just the intervention, meaning just the exercise arm only in Panama, in the country of Panama. So I was a Fulbright oh, scholar wow. in Panama. And so I have a lot of connections there. Mm-hmm. And I know even with my broken, uh, my, my, my Brooklyn accent, I do speak <laughs> a, a lot of Spanglish. And so, <laughs> and so I have colleagues, oncologist colleagues there, and we're um, successfully recruiting people into that study there because in Panama, there is no symptom management at all for patients once they finish their treatment. So um, it's been very well received there and we're in the midst of that as well. So very happy to be bringing that to the women of Panama. I love it. Oh my goodness. I love it so much because it's so needed. So needed. Very um, much. So where can people find more information if they want to? I mean, I'm going to post it for sure. Mm-hmm. I've already posted it before, but I'm going to post it again. But um, if you don't mind just verbally sharing where they can find you all. We have a Facebook page, you know, and um Unfortunately, Christina, I can't say it verbally, but when you post it, just please go to that um, post that 
Christina's going to put up. <laughs> you can talk to our research staff. Uh, Jillian Curry is our uh, research coordinator. We have Maria Moreno, Sandy um, Morgan, or our in, our nurses, and uh, Sanjukta is our uh, intervention interventionist. So she's the one who will actually do, see you and take care of you at your baseline um, and all your appointments. And so we have a great team and they're ready to help you. Feel free to reach out to us if you're interested and don't worry about making a mistake. If you think you're interested and you're not sure if you're eligible, let us decide that. Please contact us. We'll be recruiting patients probably through April. So now is the time to get started if you want to be in the study and we would be delighted to help you any way that we can. I love it. And it's called, so for those who may um maybe you're hearing this and this is the only way that you can get the information it's called be is be it happy be, be happy study right be, yeah b dash h a p i by the way you can find us on instagram as oh. well <laughs> and they have it on the website as well with through the school absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. So yes, so all that'll be in there, but I wanted I wanted to make for sure they knew the spelling mm -hmm. of it just in case they're listening and not reading. Thank you for reminding me because yeah. you know some people think it's B E. Yeah. And it's really B dash H A P I because I took the acronym from the for the official name of the study. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I like that. I, when I seen it, I was like, be happy study. I was like, hmm, I wonder what that really means. Like what's behind the the acronym of it mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. so that is great. Um, so before we end, do you have anything else to say about no, this? Study or anything I, else think like we've, I think we've summed it up very well. Okay. This has been a pleasure, but you know, I have to ask you, what is the name of your favorite song and who is the artist and why do you okay. like it? <laughs> My favorite song, and I dedicate this song to all the women with breast cancer, all our breast cancer survivors. It's the champion with Carrie Underwood and Ludacris because you are the champions. And as the song goes, you are um, unbreakable, unstoppable and unshakable. So you Aww. are the champions. I love that. And your, what is a word that you can leave the audience? And if you could share the word, what it means to you and why do you want to leave it to them to encourage them? And it may be someone out there who has fresh wounds and they look, they're looking at them. It could be mental or physical wounds or scars, and they're just having a very difficult time. And so what's something that you can leave with the audience to a word, or it could be a phrase um, to encourage them? My word is hope. I think that we all need hope, hope that things will get better, hope that we'll move on, hope in ourselves, strength, knowing we have the strength to have the hope. And so I want to leave you with hope. I love that so much. And before we wrap up everything, I want to leave you with something. And that is, as you were talking, I was thinking, wow, she just creates so much hope for people. But I've already talked about being hopeful, right? So when I also think of you, I see passion. And I see not only passion, but also compassion. Like you love what you do. And because you love what you do, you're doing, you're also helping so many people to get to the place of having more hope in their life so that they can progress 
and not know and not think that this is just it for them and just settle for my life is just supposed to be this way. So I just encourage you to continue, continue, continue to share all your information, your knowledge, your expertise, but not just that, your compassion and your love for what you do and for the people that you serve. Thank you so much. It is my honor to serve the women with breast cancer. Thank you, Christina. And thank you for inviting me tonight. You it was are my so pleasure. Welcome. Well, that wraps up another episode of Our Scars Speak. Thank you all for joining us tonight. As always, remember, I don't know when you're supposed to tell your story, but one day, hopefully, you will be brave enough or have enough courage to tell your story because every scar, every mental and physical scar speaks a story that can help the wounds of another. So until later on this week, because I have another guest, I love you and I'll see you later. Thank you for listening to Our Scars Speak and we hope you can join us again real soon. Meanwhile, remember that our mental and physical scars speak a story that can help heal the wounds of another.